You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's take our Bibles and read together three passages from the Word of God. We start with Matthew 17. It's actually a parallel passage to our text. Matthew 17, starting at verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon. And it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. We go on to Mark chapter 9 from verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. 
We now go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9, from verse 28. After eight days, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. And now follows the text for the preaching. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I put stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, there's a story of a young man, or 17, who went to vet school. Many years later, he told a story about the first week of school. After he had just attended his first lecture in animal husbandry, he remembers stepping out onto the street in front of the college and seeing a horse standing still in front of a coal cart. Now, that student had only heard one lecture, but he imagined that he knew something about horses. So he carefully looked over the horse. He identified the different parts of the horse's body and then he turned around to walk away, but the horse acted with surprising speed. He grabbed the student by the coat, lifted him completely off the ground. Everybody who was standing around laughed. But when the owner of the horse came back, he jabbed his thumb into the horse's belly so that the student dropped onto the ground. And as he fell to the ground, he heard the horse owner muttering to himself, do not meddle with things you know nothing about. Do not meddle 
with things you know nothing about. The student thought he was an expert, but the fact was he knew nothing about horses at all. And if we imagine the embarrassment of this student vet, it's similar to what happens in our text for this afternoon. The Lord Jesus Christ is gone. He took three disciples with him and left the other nine disciples behind. And those nine disciples, a man comes to them, taking his son with him, his son who was possessed by a demon. And the disciples, they imagine that they can heal him because they are experts. But they are sadly mistaken. They cannot cast out the demon. Instead, they too are meddling, meddling with things they know nothing about. And so, when the Lord comes back, when the Lord deals with that evil spirit, the disciples realize that they still have so much to learn. And the Lord Jesus Christ is also reminded that there is still so much that he needs to teach them. I preach to you this afternoon the gospel of your salvation under the following theme. The Son of God demonstrates that he alone destroys the power of the devil and gives life. We pay attention to three points. The power of the devil is demonstrated in the failure of the disciples. The cruelty of the devil is exposed in the life of the boy. The victory over the devil is proclaimed in the word of the Lord. The Son of God demonstrates that he alone destroys the power of the devil and gives life. In the first place we see the power of the devil demonstrated in the failure of the disciples. Now just before our text, Jesus, together with Peter and James and John, was on the top of a mountain. And there, Moses and Elijah appeared in shining splendor. And when the disciples realized what was happening, when they saw Jesus enveloped in heavenly glory, Peter said, Master, why don't we build three shelters, one for Moses to live in, one for Elijah and one for Jesus? And Peter said this because Peter could see the difference, the difference between up there on the mountain and down here in this world, down here. Peter could see pain and hardship, sickness and suffering, jealousy and conflict. But up there on top of the mountain, everything looked so magnificent, so different, so wonderful. Peter does not want to come back down from the mountain. Instead, he wants to stay up there for as long as he can. And we understand why. The very next day, Peter is brought down to earth with an almighty thump. And so is Jesus. Because Luke mentions a large crowd that is waiting for Jesus. When we hear that, a large crowd waiting for Jesus, we might imagine a crowd at the airport waiting for our Olympic superstars to appear. We might imagine a crowd waving flags, loving Jesus. They can't wait to see him again. But no, that's not the case at all. Instead, Mark tells us 
that there is something serious going on. There was a certain man. He brought his son to the disciples for healing. And when the disciples could not heal him, the teachers of the law, they challenged the disciples. They said, where's your power gone? Why doesn't it work? So now, when the Lord Jesus Christ himself appears, the crowds are keen to find out what's going to happen. How is Jesus going to answer the teachers of the law? How is Jesus going to explain the failure of his disciples? And most of all, what is Jesus going to do with that boy? Would we blame Jesus if he would turn around and go straight back up that mountain? Why should he bother with those slow learning disciples or with those rebellious teachers of the law? Why should Jesus involve himself in this mess when he can so easily go back up there where everything is perfect? That's the first issue in our text. But let's ask ourselves now, what went wrong for the disciples? Why were the disciples not able to drive out that evil spirit? According to Mark, the Lord tells his disciples that this kind of evil spirit can be driven out only by prayer. This gives the impression that this is a special kind of demon, an unusually powerful demon perhaps, and the disciples are not equipped to deal with it. But that cannot be true, because at the beginning of chapter 9, when the Lord sent his disciples out to preach the gospel, in verse 1, that's in Luke 9 verse 1, the Lord gave his disciples power to drive out all demons. Yes, indeed, the disciples have received power to drive out all demons. And that's why we can imagine what happened. For some time, the disciples were driving out demons, even all kinds of demons. They never had a problem. So when the man in our text brings his son to the disciples, when the man in our text explains to the disciples what he wants the disciples to do, the disciples, they do not hesitate. They know what to do and they know how to do it. And so they just expect that it's going to succeed this time as well. One of them commands the evil spirit to come out of the boy. But nothing happens. And if another disciple tries, if all the disciples try, not one of them is able to drive out the demon. Now that Jesus is gone, it seems as if the power of the disciples is gone too. And again we ask, why? Why are the disciples unable to drive out this evil spirit? We remember what Mark said. Mark said, this kind can come out only by prayer. But we also listen to Matthew. And in Matthew, Jesus says, because you have so little faith. And now, when we put these two answers together, brothers and sisters, these two answers, you have got so little faith, and you can do it only by prayer. When we put these two answers together, 
we can understand that Jesus must be bitterly disappointed with his disciples in our text. Because these disciples, they are using their God-given power. They are doing their work faithfully, preaching the gospel, healing the sick and driving out demons. They are doing exactly what Jesus gave them to do. But obviously, even while they are doing the work which Jesus gave them to do, obviously, there's something missing. And that's prayer. They are doing their job, but they are not receiving power from on high. And so, like every tap that is connected, sorry, like every tap that is not connected to a water supply, the disciples have run dry. Like every cell that is not connected to a generator, the disciples have run out of power. Oh, I am not saying that the disciples are rebellious or that they don't want to live as children of God. Instead, we only have to look at our own lives because we can all be so busy in our lives in the church. We can be so busy as office bearers or on church committees or in school boards, so busy in our daily work or in our family life, or so busy having holidays. We can be so busy with all these good things that we don't make time to connect with God. And the reality is that we can live like that. We can survive like that for a long, long time. Because from the time when we were babies, most of us have been pumped full of the gospel. The children's Bible at home, Bible stories at school, Lord's Days in the Catechism classroom. By the time we were 18 or 20, we know it all so well. But after that, when nobody forces us to read and to study the Bible anymore, it's so easy to sit back and just survive on the wealth of spiritual food which he have stored up when we were young. Just like the disciples in our text, they believe in Jesus. They have received spiritual gifts, but they do not have this permanent lifeline in place which reaches up into heaven. This permanent lifeline in place which sucks up all of God's blessings and makes them our own. The disciples are so busy doing kingdom work that they do not even notice what they are missing. Indeed, they are blind to the fact that their spiritual gas tanks have run dry. And so our text warns us that we cannot live this way, brothers and sisters. Just like we cannot eat extra for one whole year and then fast for a second year. In the same way, we cannot store up faith from month to month either, or even from week to week. Instead, brothers and sisters, our relationship with God must function on a daily basis. We must draw strength from the Bible and we must ask God for his blessing every day. If I want to live like a Christian today, 
I need to have a relationship with God today. And tomorrow, I need that same living connection again. Because if I do not communicate with God today, oh, I will survive until tomorrow. But tomorrow, I will have less energy to fight my battle against sin. And then there is much more chance of things going wrong. But only, only when we refocus our lives on the promises of the gospel, only when we bring our issues before God in prayer every day again, then we become strong and then we can also give glory to God. Because when we are busy, and especially when our work is going well, then we can easily get the impression that we are doing it ourselves. Then we can easily become proud. But, but imagine that you phone your mum every day and ask her for help. Or imagine, imagine that you ask your dad for advice whenever you need to make even the smallest decision. Surely, if you would do that, Everybody would say that you are not independent. And that's exactly the message we give to God when we read our Bible, when we pray every day. Then we confess that we are not independent. Then we confess that we cannot manage our lives on our own. Then we confess that we rely on him. We need him to strengthen us and to guard us. We need him to show us the way every day again. When we have this kind of regular relationship with God, then he is glorified. And at the same time, we have this pipeline in place, a pipeline so that God can and God does give us everything that we need. The disciples did not understand that. They thought because they were believers, everything would always go fine. They imagined that they could really do something important for God. But in our text, God says to them, my children, he says, it's not because you have become a Christian. It's not even because you are a Christian, but it's because of what happens. It's because of what you do in your life. What's happening every day again, where you connect to God through Jesus Christ. When we have a living relationship with God, then God gives us an uninterrupted supply of grace. And otherwise, we are guaranteed to run dry. So let's get this straight, brothers and sisters. A living connection with God. It's important for us. And it's important to God. For us. It is important because God is the fount of our life, the source of our grace. When we are connected to him, he's giving, we're receiving. And when we have this living connection with God, it's important to him because we give glory to his name. But our text also reminds us that our relationship with God makes a world of difference to our neighbors. Because when the disciples fail, then the teachers of the law, they are triumphant. They've got their explanation ready. The teachers of the law, 
point their finger at Jesus. They claim that when the disciples fail, this proves that Jesus is a fraud. And we must understand, brothers and sisters, we must understand that it always works this way. When the disciples fail, but also when you or I fall into sin, when the church fails, then Jesus Christ is always given the blame. The world is always looking at your life and at my life through a microscope. And the smallest imperfection results in an accusation against Jesus Christ. The people around us use our sins and our weaknesses as an excuse to reject the gospel. We must take this issue seriously in our personal life, in our business affairs, because whatever we do reflects on our Lord and Saviour. Wherever they find cause to criticise us, his name is mocked and blasphemed. Jesus experienced this mockery in our text. Let him not experience this same kind of mockery on account of our unfaithfulness. When the Son of God comes down from the mountain of transfiguration, he confirms the choice which he made on Christmas Day for the sake of his disciples and many other Israelites who are weak and unbelieving, for the sake of the teachers of the law as well, who are openly hostile, for your sake and for my sake, Jesus is willing to give up his heavenly glory and experience earthly suffering, even hell. Jesus sees how powerless, how fragile, how totally dependent his disciples are on him. Jesus sees that we cannot manage without him. Thanks be to God for his mercy. He wants to be our saviour. In our second point, we will now see how the cruelty of the devil is exposed in the life of the boy. The boy in a text, he has got two distinct problems. On the one hand, there is a physical problem. He has seizures. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and has convulsions. In the old King James Version, he is called a lunatic. That word lunatic is not meant in a disrespectful way. Instead, in the word lunatic, we find the word lunar, which means moon. In the days of our text, when people had these kinds of attacks, it was assumed that they were connected to the position of the moon. In English, he's called a lunatic. Dutch translations call it moon sickness. These names are literal translations of what the apostle wrote. This boy had a sickness and everybody thought that it was related to the position of the moon. But apart from this sickness, there's also something else. Satan. Satan sees the weakness of a person. And Satan uses that weakness. Satan realizes that this sick child suits his purpose perfectly. And so Satan takes control of him. Satan possesses him. 
And Satan, Luke tells us, Satan is destroying him. Truly, this child is getting a double whammy. Physically, he's weak and sick. He can hardly survive. And at the same time, he is possessed by an evil spirit. And so, when the Lord Jesus Christ sees this child, Jesus can see before him the total effect of our fall into sin. Here is sickness. Here is loss of self-control. Here is loss of dignity. Here is living on the brink of death. Jesus sees the misery which this causes, not only for the boy, but also for loved ones. Truly, Jesus sees in our text before his eyes the power of the devil and the dominion of hell. And Jesus can also see how unequal this battle is. The kingdom of Satan is thriving in this sick and broken, helpless child. The kingdom of Satan is also thriving among the teachers of the law who reject the message of the disciples. Against all this opposition, the disciples are helpless. That's how unequal this battle is. And so Jesus, Jesus, what are you going to do? Will you go back up that mountain and enjoy your glory and splendor? Or will you please have mercy on these poor, wretched sinners? And now let's stop here and consider for a moment, brothers and sisters. It happens, does it not, that children sometimes compare parents. Those parents are stricter. Those parents are more lenient. Now what if, what if we would make the same comparison between God as a father and Satan as a father? God comes to us every Sunday with the law. Do this, you shall not do that. God places restrictions on our lives. But the other father, the devil, what rules does the devil give to his children? The people of the world have a lot more freedom than we do. The devil does not object when his people abuse alcohol and other drugs which help them to relax and enjoy themselves. The devil is never upset by what his children see on the television or the internet or neither is he upset by their sexual behavior. And so... If we turn our backs on God, if we live our lives according to the devil's program, we get so much more freedom. And that's why many people do sell their souls to the devil. Perhaps some of them might continue to come to church, but in their hearts they worship Satan as Lord because that's a much easier life. They can do as they please. But... Let's take a look at our text. Do you see what kind of a father the devil is really? Do you see how the devil hurts and oppresses and destroys? The devil seems to be so kind and so generous and so accommodating. But he is cruel. He destroys bodies and souls. He destroys families. He destroys whole nations. In fact, the devil would be the happiest 
if he could destroy you and me and us all totally and eternally in hell. The Apostle Paul, he warned the Corinthians that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. That means the devil goes around disguising himself, pretending to be what he is not. Because if he would be open and honest, then nobody would want anything to do with him. The devil tries to deceive us by pretending that he makes us happy. But then our text opens our eyes. The devil knows who is strong and who is weak. The devil chooses the most helpless of all to be his victims. Parents, watch your children. The devil also knows where you are strong, where you might be weak. And so the temptations which he places before you will be tailor-made to fill you, to destroy you. So let's not be deceived, brothers and sisters. Do not let the devil tempt you with his offer of freedom because he has no mercy. Ultimately, he will only be satisfied if he can destroy your body and your soul in hell forever. That's his nature, to destroy. And to prove this, in verse 42, as the boy comes towards Jesus, when Jesus is about to heal him, the demon throws the boy to the ground in a convulsion. And Mark tells us the boy looked so much like a, like a corpse that many say he's dead. You see, the devil will not give his victim up very easily. Instead, he would rather have them die than get well. And we know for ourselves how true this is, don't we? When we have a particular sin in our life, when we struggle to change, when we struggle to put that sin out of our lives, the devil never lets us go. Instead, he does what he can to get us back. And ultimately, if he cannot hold on to us, if he must let us go, then he would rather destroy us completely. He would rather have us die. Truly, beloved congregation, in our text, the Lord Jesus Christ is exposing the devil for what he really is. Jesus is demonstrating to us that it is the nature of the devil to destroy. Jesus wants us to understand what the devil is trying to do to us all. That's the reason why the devil bombards us with so many opportunities to enjoy us. Do not let him deceive you. Remember the price that you would have to pay. The wrath of God, which was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross of Golgotha, that would also be poured out on us every day, forever. So let's stand, brothers and sisters. And then finally, in our third point, we will see very briefly how the victory over the devil is proclaimed in the word of God. When Jesus heals the boy in our text, that's quite typical. But what Jesus says beforehand is not so typical. Jesus calls them a perverse and unbelieving generation. And with these words, Jesus expresses his anger, his frustration over the failure of the disciples and the unbelief of the teachers of the law. 
For Jesus, it's so obvious that Satan is always destroying while God is always healing. So why don't they repent? Why won't they believe in him? Why will they bring trouble and despair upon themselves instead? It doesn't make any sense at all to Jesus. But Jesus has got more to say. Jesus tells his disciples that he will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And that means, that means, having now seen the weakness of his disciples, it means having experienced the anger of the Jews, and particularly having observed the power of Satan, Jesus confirms his choice. Of course, Jesus remembers the majestic glory that he experienced on the mountain. Of course, Jesus realizes that he can have a perfectly peaceful life, a perfectly comfortable life in heaven. But Jesus feels, Jesus feels that his disciples still need him because they have got so many challenges to deal with, especially when Jesus sees the cruel and destructive power of the devil in his child. Jesus is filled with compassion. Jesus does not leave us alone. And we need to understand this well, beloved congregation, because we all have sins in our lives. And some of us, I have no doubt, some of us are caught up in our sins. And sometimes we feel that we cannot help ourselves. We know that we are slaves to our sinful behavior. And this This makes us feel worthless. We are disgusted with ourselves. But we cannot escape. And so, hear the gospel. Jesus did not come down from heaven to die for good people and decent people. Jesus did not go to the cross to save us because we are worthy of his grace. Instead, go back to our text. Jesus sees how powerful Satan is. Jesus sees how weak, how pathetically powerless his children are. And then Jesus responds to this sin and this misery. Jesus responds by saying, I am going to the cross. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And in the process, I'm going to destroy the power of the devil. And I'm going to save you all from all your sins and all your pain and all your suffering. So this is hope, brothers and sisters. There is hope for every one of us. There is hope regardless of who we are. There is hope if only we accept the grace of God. And now let's go back to Jesus on the mountain in glorious splendor for a moment. Jesus up there and then Jesus later back down to earth where the power of Satan is so clearly seen. And we already noted that Peter preferred to be up there, there where everything was wonderful. Peter liked it better up there than down here, where the power of the devil is still so clearly visible. Of course, in our lives, we also have the high points and the low points. When things are going well, then we cruise through life. We pray, of course, but without passion, because nothing is a big deal. We thank the Lord, of course, 
but also with no great passion because we've gotten used to every blessing. And moreover, we have so much that we really don't need it anyways. When we feel like we are on top of the world, then we feel big and then everything and everyone else is small indeed. Then God also looks rather small and unimportant. But in the low times in our life, when we feel small, then God is big. That's why Jesus said it is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. It's at the low points in our lives that we realize our total dependence on God. Then we notice that we have got crosses to bear. Then we can pick up our cross and we can follow. And then, then let us never forget what we discover in our text for this afternoon, brothers and sisters. The Lord Jesus Christ, he saw his disciples and he saw how slowly they were learning. They imagined that they had this spiritual power. They thought that they could rescue this child from the power of Satan. But they did not understand that that their power had to come from God. They did not realize that they needed a regular, constant relationship with God. Because otherwise this power would dry up. In the second point we saw the true nature of the devil who seeks constantly to destroy. The devil, he offers us many nice things to enjoy in the world. But his ultimate purpose is our destruction. And in our third point we heard Jesus confirm his decision. He will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He will carry his cross bear the burden of God's wrath against sin. And so he will destroy the power of the devil. Jesus will do all that because, yes, why? Because he sees how weak we are. Because he knows how much we need him. Brothers and sisters, may God bless us richly in the week ahead. May he hold on to us all. May he grant that we have daily fellowship with him by praying to him and reading his word every day because that daily fellowship with God, that is our lifeline, that is the way to eternal life. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.